Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. On today's episode, we're talking about global communication. If you can't effectively convey your thoughts and interpret those of others on an increasingly diverse stage, your career will suffer. And we don't want that. We're talking about what getting your particular message out to the right people at the right time and then being able to gauge the success. How often have you been left feeling like no one is listening? Today, I'm joined by Carrie Meehan. Carrie is the Vice President of Enterprise HR Communications at Fidelity Investments. She leads a global team responsible for developing the strategy and communications to all of Fidelity's 70,000-plus global associates. Carrie has over 20 years of experience in financial services marketing. She earned her bachelor's in English with honors from Colby College and holds the FINRA Series 7, 24, and 63 licenses. She spent two years serving as global co-head of marketing and communication for women in ETFs. She lives in Webster, Mass. with her husband, two kids, and a pug named Rocco. Welcome, Carrie, to the We Talk Careers podcast. Thank you, Christine. It's so great to be here. I'm happy you're here. And I was going through your bio and saw that you and your daughter like to watch baking shows. And I just thought that was so funny because I haven't seen my daughter or my son watch any baking shows for a while. But just the other day, I mean, like Monday, I walked through the living room and they were watching the show where the people, I guess it wasn't quite baking, but a cooking show. They had to figure out how to make a Pringles potato chip. Oh, yes. I've seen that one. And I'm like, I never thought about the the very complex algorithm of that geometry and them trying to create, you know, the taste and the crunch and the shape and all of that. And, and I was so busy and I'm like, you know, walking through the living room a couple of times, finally, I just sit down. I'm like, okay, I got to figure out like, and at the end, none of them look like Pringles to me, but somebody had to win, but uh, that must be fun. So you and your daughter, like watching those. We do. I think it's so fascinating just watching how creative people can be. And to your point, you know, just the the frame of mind that you have to be in to be able to create something out of nothing is so fascinating to me. So we started getting into it during COVID and then we've just continued. We love them. We were trying to guess like how much they knew ahead of time what was coming because it seems so fast that they like get the challenge and then they off running. I feel like I was challenged and I would just sit there for a second and be like, um, (laughs) I totally agree that. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. They must have some sort of heads up. Sometimes you can tell they've prepared something in advance. Yes, yes, yes. So I, either way, it seems like an insane amount of time to do insane things. So I I think that's really fun. Yeah. So today we are taking a lift off of your job in global communications and helping people sort of understand how important communication is. Um, in their careers and maybe give them some portable advice to take with them into their jobs. But start with the story. Tell us how communications has come in and, you know, something sort of interesting about you. Sure. So a few years ago, I had a really amazing opportunity to attend an executive education program at Wharton. 
and had this really fascinating experience where we were given the opportunity to do a, an assessment of sorts. And we've all taken these personality assessments, but this one was a little bit different. It really got after your whole brain thinking and how you how your brain naturally prefers to process information. So it was very different than anything I've done in the past. So on the day we took the survey ahead of time, on the day of the session, we all show up to an auditorium with about 200 people in the auditorium. And we get to our seats and we're given the results, but the results were given in a sealed packet. So we weren't allowed to look at them. And the facilitator starts giving some general information about the assessment. And then he calls out four names. Mine was one of them. And he asks the four of us to leave the room. So myself and three colleagues get up and we leave the room and we're standing outside of the room and we can hear behind the closed doors, the rest of the audience talking and laughing, but we can't hear what they're saying. So after a short period of time, we're allowed to go back into the room where we're asked to go to the front of the auditorium, get up on stage, the facilitator hands us each a microphone and gives us a hypothetical problem. And he says, go ahead, talk it through out loud. And as the four of us started talking and discussing and debating, the entire audience started laughing. And we realized the punchline was the four of us each represented the most extreme components of the assessment. So in my case, I was the most red person in the room. Red being emotional, relationship-based, intuitive, empathetic. And my colleagues represented the other three extremes in the room. And the reason why the audience was laughing is because we almost word for word played out what the facilitator said we would say, because it was all based on how our brains naturally process information and indicative of that. So really insightful, uh, slightly embarrassing. But coming out of that session, it really gave me a lot of perspective into how my brain naturally operates. And I thought, I think there's something here that I want to learn a little bit more about and maybe lean into. So where did they take it from there? Was it about learning about yourself or was it about trying to learn how to engage and work well with the other colors? I assume there were four colors. Yeah, yeah four colors. Yep. Uh, it was both, actually. So it was really about, and for me, what I took away from it was learning so much more about myself and knowing what my natural preferences are. And then the more I dug into it, it became more of a team building exercise and, and an opportunity for me to almost balance my natural way of thinking and my natural preferences with perspectives from other people who I could over time, easily see we're not red like me, we're, we're sort of blue or green or yellow or the three other colors, you can over time start to really distinguish who is what uh, or whose preferences are, are what, and you can start to balance your thinking when it's necessary to do so. So for me, it was really important to balance my natural red tendencies with maybe some more blue, someone who's a little bit more analytically inclined, um, data, facts, figures, things like that, things that I'm na naturally not inclined toward looking at when I'm making a decision. I'm more intuitive and gut-based, but for me, it's been about learning to balance that so that I'm rounding out my preferences and maybe my biases. That makes a lot of sense. So as we move into this topic for today, which really is based on your expertise in terms of global communications, and I, I just love that we're talking about this because so much of our ability to be successful in our careers 
comes about with our effectiveness in being able to both convey and receive information, right? And the fact that you've got this opportunity and responsibility to customize and convey information across so many different teams to so many individuals. Take us through that a little bit. You know, how do you define effective communications when you're thinking about it from a global perspective? Yeah, it's a really great question um, and something I spend a lot of time thinking about. So uh, for me personally, I just recently shifted roles from marketing investment products like ETF, which is how we've gotten to know each other in mutual funds, to an internally focused role, leading internal communications uh, for our HR initiatives at Fidelity. And so for me, it's important to lean into a few transferable skills that I've identified One is measurement and analysis and making sure that we're really tracking what is working and what's not working. And do we have the data, again, to back up our recommendations and our decision making? And that's something that as marketers, we're very dialed into because dollars count and you want to make sure that you're maximizing the uh, return on investment. And the second component is this notion of audience segmentation. So how do we make sure that we're getting the right message to the right people at the right time? And again, that's something that as marketers, it's second nature to think about audience segmentation. You want to make sure that you're maximizing what you're doing and how you're marketing to an audience. So for me, I'm thinking a lot about how do we apply those concepts to internal communications where we have a ability over 65,000 associates, obviously a very wide breadth of different types of associates, everything from tenure to background, experience, points in their career, et cetera the same message is not going to resonate the same way to all of those associates. So how do we really take those principles and apply them to internal communications so that we're hitting the right message to the right people at the right time? And that's got to be so challenging because especially nowadays, things are expected to be so customized, right? Like we are expecting every time we get on our phone, every time we're talking to folks, you know, even the way things are just delivered to us, it's it's very custom, right? You know, so like you can't just send out this global communication that, you know, is sort of a generic, everyone needs to pay attention by telling them to pay attention, right? You know, like it probably no longer works just to say, you must read this. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. So we have different mediums at our disposal. We have different tones of messages. Uh, There's a lot of different levers we can pull, but you're, you're spot on, Christine. When we think about ourselves as personal consumers, our lives have changed so much over the course of the last however many years where customization is expected. We are trained now to almost have no patience when we're being told a generic message or when something isn't 100% personalized to us. We think about our Amazon card or recommendations or Netflix or what have you. That's just the norm now. And so as individuals, we expect that in all aspects of our lives. So that's something that we're working through and we're on the journey. I'm excited to learn as, as we go, but it's definitely near and dear to our hearts. I think I'm I'm really learning quite a bit about this. And as our loyal listeners know, I'm, you know, an aspiring novelist. So I've written a few, but really haven't put any in the world yet. And I write suspense and I write suspense that's work-life balance, very set on, you know, sort of Wall Street, high finance. And when I have to explain what my book is about, you know, the basic is like what the plot is. More importantly to publishers and to agents that I'm speaking to is I absolutely need to understand who my readers are. Who exactly is it that's going to be reading it? And what 
pieces of information do they need to know in order to be able to market and segment um, the market for these readers? And I have to be the one to understand this. It, it's no longer just write a great book. And I'm not saying my book's great, but you know, no longer is it, you know, learn the craft, work hard at it, write a suspenseful story, all of those. You absolutely need to know how is it that this book is going to be marketed, even if you're going to you know, a large traditional publisher, they're relying on the author to figure these things out. And this was a big learning to me. And it's, you know, it's been exciting, actually, you know, a number of authors were like, this shouldn't be my job. I'm an introvert. I don't care. You know, it's like, I'm just going to put it out into the world. But for me, I'm like, absolutely. You know, what's the point of putting this out there if no one's there on the other side to read it? So I really can just understand what what you're up against with small pieces of information. I'm, I'm trying to get people to read, you know, 83,000 words. So I'm looking forward to learning more from you on how you really dive into this idea of personalizing it and understanding what, you know, your audience expectations are. Thank you. We're learning as we go as well. And it's really exciting. But I, I think it comes back to, I always try and keep it simple. It comes back to the common sense fundamentals of communication 101, right? Know who you're talking to, know what's important to them, know what's going to be motivating to them, and then tailor your message accordingly. So we're doing a lot of research now to identify what that might look like across the different segments of our audience, in this case, internal associates, and more to come. I'm, I'm really excited about the journey as well. So for you, in order to know your, it's not just a few of you sitting in a room and saying, well, you know, they're like me, <laughs> you know, like everyone sort of, you know, as long as we've got a diverse group in, in this conference room together, we're just going to tailor it so it fits all of us. You're actually doing research to understand what is meaningful to your audience. So take us through that a little. Sure. So as I mentioned in the story that I told earlier, I'm not a naturally analytical person. So for me, it's been a journey to embrace the data, right? And I think the data can help in a lot of ways set us free and help with decision making in a lot of ways. So what we're doing is really uh, looking quantitatively and qualitatively across the entire portion of our audience population and trying to create different profiles, different segments of the audience, dig in, ask them questions, better learn, you know, what is important to you, whether it's uh, the message itself, uh, the time of day that we're communicating the message, the medium that we're using. There's so many different levers that we have to use, quite frankly. So we're trying to find that special sauce for different portions of the population that will have the message resonate the way that we want it to, whether that's we're asking them to take action on something, it's general awareness about an overall benefit or a community event that's happening in their regional office, what have you. We're starting with what is the intended action, and then how do we back into that so that we're maximizing the communications. We also know that we communicate an awful lot to our associates. We feel that as people, right? We, we get so many messages throughout the day, personally, business-related. Um, there's just so much information. So for us, what we're trying to dig into is how do we maximize the retention of the information in the best way possible. It's not only about the volume and the cadence of communication, but it's about that retention of the message. So take us to people in their careers. So a number of listeners that are looking either to be seen as a thought leader within their current organization, or maybe even expanding into different roles. So how can they use what you've learned in conveying these messages globally 
to help them sell themselves and to connect with the teams that they're interacting with? Well, I really love this idea of authentic leadership. And that is a phrase that is thrown around quite frequently. And it can mean a lot of different things to different people. But in the process that I just described to you, we're on a journey. And I'm learning that it's okay not to have all of the answers up front. You know, when I took this new role, I'm not a communicator. I'm not a writer. I'm surrounded by expert writers. And I very quickly had to learn that that's okay. And how do I surround myself with people who have the expertise that I lack so that I'm really balancing, again, going back to knowing yourself and knowing what your natural preferences are and what your strengths are. And and for me, it's about figuring out how do I balance my natural preferences and strengths with the expertise of people around me who can balance out what I don't innately have. So in the case uh, that I mentioned, you know, I'm not naturally an analytical person, but I've learned to lean into it and, and embrace the data and embrace the analytics because it really does help to better inform the decision that you're about to make. That makes a lot of sense. So as people are looking to help tell their story, to help mm-hmm. promote what it is that they do for the benefit of their company, so they maybe can be seen as this thought leader or be able to be seen as um, capable of the next rung on their ladder, surrounding themselves with the folks that have strengths in, in areas that may be weaknesses for them. Totally understand that. What else should maybe they be taking from what you've learned in terms of communicating globally? Yeah, so I think we've talked a lot about balancing your natural preferences, leaning into the data, which has really been helpful for me. Um, the other thing that you know I'm, I'm personally but always very drawn to is leaders and people who are vulnerable. So for me, in my experience, it's been helpful to allow myself to be vulnerable and understand that just because you're a leader, it doesn't mean that you have to have all the answers. You have hopefully an amazing team around you that you can lean on to help and and to round out everything that you're trying to do. So you know, I think being vulnerable is a big piece of it. There are people who you know, who you work with every day, who you interact with every day, who have the answers and have the expertise. So lean into them where you can build those relationships. Relationships are 95% of what we do in any successful role. And building those relationships is really important so that you, over time, build that trust that comes with strong relationships across an organization. And then for me, it was really helpful to take time to think through and be really clear on my vision. And I found that the clearer I was, the easier it was for everyone around me to understand my North Star and what I was trying to move us toward, and then also become advocates for it. And that's the important piece. And I think that's what you were saying with your novels. How do you create an elevator pitch so that your readers become ambassadors for you as well and advocates for you. And so for me, it was helpful to take a lot of time to be really clear on the vision, which wasn't necessarily as clear when I first started. So it's having the grace and giving yourself that grace to think through and take the time to make sure it's crystal clear. For me, what that looked like is writing it down. So when I first joined this role, I took about a month or two months to just listen. I went on a listening tour and I met with all of the business partners, my my team, of course, um, my colleagues, and all the key stakeholders. And I took copious notes. And I organically started to think through 
what was I hearing? What was working well already that I knew I didn't want to mess with? What were the gaps and maybe where I could help? What were the observations that I made coming into this role with a fresh perspective and expertise in a different area? And then once I started to organize my thoughts and my notes, it naturally started forming into a framework that became a strategic plan for me. And so just thinking through my notes and organizing them actually (laughs) became the beginnings of a strategic plan that my team and others could rally around. They could clearly see the vision. They had shared ownership in that vision. Um, I I went on a roadshow of sorts, sharing this vision with my team, with key business partners, with my manager, of course. I incorporated their feedback. I listened to their feedback, incorporated it. And so we all had a, a sense of shared ownership when all was said and done. And that plan quickly became something that we could rally around. And still, you know, 10 months later, it's it's holding true. We have made adjustments here and there, of course, but it's a North Star that we can keep going back to. So for me, it was really helpful to be crystal clear on the vision that we were trying to accomplish, and then everything else sort of fell into place after that. I love talking about shared ownership on that. Um, I think for me, when I was earlier in my career, I headed up technology strategy at a large broker dealer. And one of the first, I just remember the company was going through so many pivot points as it was growing at such a sort of an alarming rate. I mean, it was great, but you know, it was just, it was alarming for being in it and not knowing where things were going. And I remember somebody embarking from the operations area on kind of a a listening tour around to advisors and to some of us that were on the front lines of strategy. And I remember there was such a big push to get everyone to cooperate, you know, so everyone needed to spend time, you know, we needed to have put together some materials to be able to speak clearly and um, authentically about some of the challenges we were having from an operational standpoint and also what was working. Like you said, you know, what did we want to retain? But then we heard nothing, right? So then after all this happens, it's, you know, months, year later, and you start to maybe see some like things changing and you're not sure why they're changing. We never sort of circled back and, and I can really attribute a lot of that to everyone was working at such a pace. We were just really trying to keep up with the growth and everyone kind of had heads down mentality. But for me and for what that meant for a lot of others is that changes were made, but we weren't communicated with this is actually a result of this great thing we did to collect all this, but because we didn't have any shared ownership in what they had found, we didn't have a shared vision of where it was going. It only looked like an interruption (laughs) when things Mm -hmm. changed operationally. You know, at the time it was a lot of pain to sort of be dealing with it as an organization. But from my career, it was such a great thing to have gone through and recognized where that disconnect and how simple, maybe not as easy because there's, you know, communication, all that, but what they could have done to help bridge our gap of where they landed and where we ended up. So I love that in your story of that, it was that communication piece was so important of being able to signal where things were going. I think it's critically important and it's an intentional practice to do that, right? So it's continuing to Make sure that when you have those wins, those milestones, as small as they might be, you're continuing to bring that back 
to the strategic vision and the strategic plan and showing your team or your business partners how that win or how that milestone ladders back to that overall plan, right? So it's all an anchor. It's an anchor of sorts that you can keep going back to and keep showing progress against. And in doing so, I think that that feels good to people, right? It shows progress. It shows that we're we're slowly chipping away at what can seem like this big behemoth, but you're making stated progress against it. And so it feels good for the team. It feels good for you. And it's something that's tangible that you can keep in your pocket as a win. Everyone wants the win. So it's good to go back to that. Right. And I I keep coming back to when we talked about in the beginning, which was about these baking shows and... (laughs) You know, it seems just kind of fun, but irrelevant, but actually it's really relevant when you think about communication. So many of these baking shows, there's teams, right? And if they're not communicating well, you can see how things break down, right? You can see how that is never going to carry the weight of the fondant that they're looking to overlay (laughs) baker, you know, like if that team isn't communicating well, and if they don't have a shared vision and as things go wrong, if they're not communicating what's going wrong you know, they have no ability to recover. So I guess it's really no surprise how much you enjoy watching them, right? (laughs) Well, you know, I think you're right. It's the the teamwork, it's the communication, and also the trust. So when you watch those shows, as an example, uh, the teams that trust each other and have the shared vision, but then empower each other to go off and do it on their own are the ones that tend to be the most successful. The ones that tend to micromanage or constantly check in or question or doubt each other tend to be the ones that end up bickering. And then, you know, the, the output suffers accordingly. So I, I go back to that as well. Again, having that North Star and that clarity of vision allows everyone to trust each other because you're all working toward the same goal. You can do it differently, but everyone feels more empowered around how they're going to achieve that. Great. So then we get wonderful homework of like going <laughs> to one of those shows and and dissecting, you know, when a team does well, how much more likely they are to win yeah. <laughs> when they actually have that shared vision, they trust each other, they communicate it effectively. So uh, that's great. It's always great to be able to see insight into areas that are low risk, right? We're sitting on our couches, pretty low risk if someone, you know, succeeds or or fails at a baking show for us. So it's, it's right. nice to be able to witness from that. Right. Carrie, this has been such a fun conversation. So tell me something that you're reading, something that may um, inspire folks. It can be fiction, nonfiction, something that uh, you'd like to share. So I love books that really transport me to a different time and a place. I really have gotten into historical fiction lately, and I love a good autobiography. But I'm a little embarrassed to say that I have not read a really good one in a long time. The last one that I really loved was The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, which I'm sure you and many of the readers have have read and probably loved as much as I did. So I was hoping that you could give me some recommendations based on your expertise in this area. I'm looking for a good summer read. Ah, excellent. Well, based on historical fiction and really getting into characters and almost autobiographical in nature, Geraldine Brooks starts with a G. She's amazing. Um, She was like a war correspondent in Afghanistan. So she um, wrote a book called Five Parts of Desire, which isn't historical, but it's what put her on the map for me. Because it was like, what is it about Islam and um, the tension of men and women and and how all that sort of plays out um, in modern day? But she went from there to writing some amazing historical fictions as well. 
One of them is called March and it's like the father's perspective of little women, which I thought was just the coolest thing. Also Caleb's Crossing, which is like the first um, Native American to go to Harvard, I believe. It's just, she's got some amazing books and the characterization in that it's just like you said transports you you know you just feel like you're in it with her I myself love suspense so Sally Hepworth who's an Australian author she wrote the mother-in-law and the good sister she transports you but in in a very different way (laughs) and it's not horror but it's such good suspense um so it's another author that I, I tend to um, once I find somebody good, like Kristen Hanna, others, I tend to try to read their portfolio of books because yeah. <laughs> I trust That's them. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. I'm adding it to my list. Thank you. <laughs> and it's good. It's great to have some books over the summer and just times that that we are transported. Thank great. you, Carrie, for this time. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you. It's been so great to talk with you. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at, with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.